Today is uh, May 14th. We'll start our third lesson today on meditation. Have you guys seen these pictures um, since the war in Ukraine started with Putin talking to advisors? There's always a long table, and all the advisors are down at one end, and it's Putin at this end right here. (laughs) Or fear. <laughs> Sometimes they're indistinguishable. Uh, so today I want to cover two lessons. Uh, the first is on defining and understanding in a little more precise way what is biblical meditation, and then we'll take a look at uh, lesson four on kind of the subjects or the objects of meditation. And, and we're we're going to only briefly touch with the objects uh, and. Then next week, we'll have a class on the, I hesitate to use the word non-biblical or unbiblical forms of meditation, but we'll look at the errors of contemporary meditation, and then we'll spend probably two classes on the practice of meditation with the subject matter itself. So it's kind of the outline. Uh, well, there we go. A brave heart. <laughs> We'll see where this one lands, who doesn't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I would say a neutral safe space is where you know. <laughs> So by way of refresher, let's take a brief look at what we've covered so far. That in lesson number one in both the Old and New Testament, the idea and practice of meditation, though not always with that particular word, is presented as the chief means men are to employ in their relationship with God. It's the instrumentality. And then secondly, our thoughts are significant. And what takes place in our minds is important. It's not morally neutral. And our thinking matters and will be either sweet and delightful before God or evil and futile before God. So that's where we've been. So I have lots and lots of definitions. Uh, I'm going to go through a few of them. If you guys, if we have time, then we'll go through a few more at the end, but I've kind of organized them uh, in ways that we can uh, distill um, what they were trying to get at. And I, I don't think it should come as a surprise that uh, meditation is, as we've seen, there are these companion words like ponder and consider and, th- and think and such throughout the Bible that the definitions of meditation are not always precise. And that's fine. They give us some latitude. And that latitude is designed to help us understand uh, the many different ways we should, we should think about this as a topic. So we'll, th- these are not in a particular um, order of importance, uh, but I, they communicate a couple of ideas that I want to look at. So the first three out of the, out of the gate are from, the first one's from Thomas Hooker. Meditation is a serious intention of the mind whereby we come to search out the truth and settle it effectually upon the heart. And William Fenner, another Puritan, says, meditation is a settled exercise of the mind for a further inquiry of the truth and so affecting the heart therewith. And William Bates, who wrote quite a bit on meditation, says, meditation is the serious exercise of the understanding whereby our thoughts are fixed on the observation of spiritual things in order to practice. 
And then we have Thomas White, who says, Divine meditation is a serious, solemn thinking and considering of the things of God. To the end, we might understand how much they concern us and that our hearts thereby may be raised to some holy affections and resolutions. Then John Ball uh, writes, Meditation is a serious, earnest, and a purposed musing upon some point of Christian instruction tending to lead us forward toward the kingdom of heaven and serving our daily strengthening against the flesh, the world, and the devil. So let's take these ideas, these working definitions as a whole, and I think what, what you, can, you can do is you can break these down, that they, they all tend to have three components to them. And the first is the, the approach, what's, what's taking place. Uh, it's described as something that's a serious endeavor or a solemn endeavor. Uh, secondly, what's the content of meditation? It's, well, described in these definitions as truth or spiritual things or even Christian instruction. And then there's the third component of it, which is the application, that it has a settling uh, upon us or an affecting or a warming all of the heart. So meditation has this design. It's either trying to settle your heart or affect the heart in some capacity or warming the heart. And we have some other definitions. We're going to look at those because they have some benefits as well. But let's stop for a minute. And uh, one of the common ways many of the Puritan authors described meditation is something that was a serious effort. And it got me wondering, why is it serious? What what makes it serious? Serious is a word we could use in many different ways. And I want to give you a, uh, a few ideas and then I want to get your input on what do you think fits. So Mr. Google says that serious could be related to a subject, state, or activity that demands careful consideration or application. An example is marriage is a serious matter. It would be one usage. It could be said of a person who is solemn or thoughtful in character or manner. Her face grew serious. Be one example. It could be uh, relating to thought or discussion that it is careful or profound. And we're going to give serious consideration to the safety recommendations. And it might be of music, literature, or other art forms, something requiring deep reflection and inviting a considered response such as he bridges the gap between serious and popular music. So here are, what, four different ways of uh, thinking about the word serious. We might, we might also categorize it as something that's acting or speaking sincerely and in earnest rather than in a joking or half-hearted manner, such as actors who are serious in their work. So there's four or five definitions of the word serious, and it's a common definition in... Um, the work of meditation. So what is serious? What do these guys mean by serious? We've had five definitions uh, so far. What do they mean by using the word serious or even solemn in that sense? The first definition is what came to my mind. The first one that demanding careful consideration or application? Uh, of a subject, state, or activity, yeah, that demands careful consideration. Marriage is a serious matter, is the example they use. So that's what comes to your mind? Yeah. Yeah, okay. What else? To make your life impacts a serious injury. 
Yeah, something not trifled. Uh, it's substantial. Maybe something like that, or or grave, or something. Yeah, that's that's a good way of thinking about it as well. Okay. What else does serious or solemn mean in? What else do you think it can mean in this context? Putting enough time into it. So an endeavor requiring deliberateness. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered, I wondered if deliberate is a word that might have fit as well. Uh, it's a little hard to know exactly what they, they meant. We'll look at a couple definitions that lend itself toward that. Um, but I think deliberate fits really well as an example of uh, the serious or the solemnness of, of the practice. So... Any other ideas about the seriousness? The second element to these definitions that are quite common is that it involves the content. The content of meditation. The practice of it is a serious endeavor, but the content of it. Now, the ones that we used were not very specific in detailing the content. They actually put it in different ways, such as a searching out of the truth was one of the, one of the, one of the elements of meditation for this serious endeavor is to search out the truth. Another wrote further inquiry of the truth or the observation of spiritual things. And we'll get, that's actually important and we'll, we'll get to it in later parts of the class. Um, one simply, I think, threw up his hands and said, the things of God. Meditation, the content is on the things of God. Well, what are the things of God? It's maybe a general description, not so much a, a working definition. Uh, but I think there's a reason why they're staying in an ambiguous frame. Their short definition is not all they said about it. And, of course, they have many points to elaborate on what it means. And one simply says here, Christian instruction. Okay, Christian instruction, that's part of the content. And so when you think about the practice, it's something that's serious, it's solemn. When it comes to the content, it's supposed to involve Christian education, the truth, things of God. We've come to the third point of it is the application. And this is what's, uh, in, in many ways, I think this is the key delineating element of Christian meditation versus secular or or. Uh, religious meditation, a non-biblical religious meditation, and that is its application. The aim of meditation is to organize thoughts in such a way that you can settle those thoughts, those truths, effectually upon the heart. That's how one person wrote it. There's a, there's a, a untargeted end to meditation is to settle the effectually upon the heart or to affect the heart. Or, as one writer said, in order to practice, to have, it, to have it be an element of your life worked out, that the truth is now in your heart and it's producing something in your life. And that our heart might be thereby raised to some holy affections and resolutions, that thinking about these things in a serious way has this effect of 
making you resolute, making you understand something and have purpose toward that thing. So meditation is uh, far from being a passive activity. You get from these definitions that it's very, very active in its targeted end. There are these things that you're doing with this material here so that it ends up here in heart and in life. Uh, One writer just says, well, it's leading us forward toward the kingdom of heaven. The idea of meditation as a device of propulsion. It's pushing us this way toward the kingdom of heaven, strengthening us in our resolve. You sort of get the impression that we just went through a class on Pilgrim's Progress, and you could see there were many times that Pilgrim needed uh, help in order to move forward towards something. And oftentimes that help came in the assistance of a further understanding of the truth, that he could work it down in his heart. In many ways, you could consider all of Pilgrim's Progress to be an extended meditation on a Christian life. And, and if you think of it in that light, you can begin to see how, how active it is. So the other element of, of the components of these definitions that I think is important, we've emphasized up till now in this class how the mind is the instrument used in meditation, but it's not the end. It's not just figuring things out. It's not a new system, systematic organization, not new categories, not trying to delineate it for the sake of delineating it. Those things can be important. But the end result is that our hearts need instruction. That's, if you think about it in that light, how is the heart to be taught? Through the mind. The mind is here to teach the heart so that the heart can be ordered and move toward the kingdom of God. It's a really wonderful way of thinking on the... Uh, the the picture that God gives us this instrument, the mind, and he wants us to employ it. And we're going to look at all the ways we need to be employing it later. But he wants us to employ this over this subject matter because with those two things, the heart is instructed. We're set on our way. We're walking into the kingdom. We're growing. We're being strengthened. So the heart does not lead. The heart follows. Vicki. Oh, that's way too much for this class. I would say the heart is everything outside of the mind as we are made in the image of God. How's that for a safe answer? <laughs> emotions and will and affections and desires. and Yeah. So the heart is, I think the heart lacks precision. Uh, and I think, um, I think that's by design. I, I think God doesn't want us thinking in narrow compartments. He wants us to paint with very, very broad brushes uh, through the art of meditation, not, not narrow. We're not filling in the corners. We're splashing paint. Uh, I think that's, that's helpful. And, one of the, and I think one of the problems with compartmentalizing the different elements of the heart, I think it is a worthwhile topic to, to, to study, to understand, to help to distinguish, but not to separate. Uh, because the heart is, it's a big place, and it has lots of things going on. And every one of those places needs instruction. That's, I think that's the end result is none, of it is, none of it is naturally inspired. It all has to be instructed and governed. Now, the instrumentality of that governance is the mind, with the content being the word. So 
It, does that help uh, both explain and evade what you were looking for? <laughs> okay, good. The heart does not lead, it follows. That's the takeaway from understanding the concept of biblical meditation, is your heart needs instruction, this is how you get it. So, what do you guys think about that as a working definition? That helpful? Yeah? Okay, good. All right. So let's take a look at a few other definitions. I've got two other sets because they, they, bring, they bring to light additional ways of thinking about this. It's not just a day of defining things, but it is a day of defining things. So we've got wide agreement. They don't all say serious uh, and solemn. Uh, meditation is a holy exercise. Isn't that a warm way of putting it? A holy exercise of the mind whereby we bring the truths of God to remembrance and do seriously ponder upon them and apply them to ourselves. That's from Thomas Watson. Uh, he, does, he does something helpful there. A holy exercise of the mind. This is a God-sanctioned event that takes place. Our minds are being called out to serve him in a certain way. Meditation from Isaac Ambrose is a deep and earnest musing upon some point of Christian instruction to the strengthening up against the flesh, the world, and the devil and to the leading us forward toward the kingdom of heaven. Or, you got to love these guys, meditation is a steadfast bending of the mind to some spiritual matter, discovering it within ourselves until we bring the same to some profitable issue. So for them, meditation always had an end in mind. And here it's a deep and earnest musing upon some truth. Uh, Nathaniel Renew wrote quite a bit on meditation. He says it, it is of that happy influence. Well, that's kind of a different way of thinking about it. The happy influence. It makes the mind wise, the affections warm, the soul fat and flourishing, and the conversation that is your life, your lifestyle, your conduct, greatly fruitful. Well, there's, that's a very different way of looking at it, isn't it? To think about meditation being a practice of all benefit. That's the beauty of what he's describing is this abundance that comes forth from the meditative life. It's a happy influence. and make you wise. Wisdom is, is portrayed frequently in the scriptures as something to be greatly desired unless you're pursuing Greek wisdom, which Paul says when he tells us in Corinthians, they think they're wise, they're not, and God's overturning those things. Why? Because their mind is all futile. Their wisdom is all futile. It has, it has no profitable end to it. We come back here, it makes you wise. It makes you warm. Who wants to be warm on the inside? The soul, fat and flourishing. This is a wonderful depiction of uh, meditation. Joseph Hall, who wrote uh, a longer discourse on meditation, writes, it's the bending of the mind upon some spiritual object through diverse forms of discourse until our thoughts come to an issue. The idea that we're going to bring something out of these thoughts. But notice the way he's describing the activity of the mind. There's an influence of the will upon the mind in, in Hall's idea. It's a bending of the mind. The mind is not allowed to run rampant wherever it wants to go. We're going to take the mind and we're going to bend it down onto some topic until we've mined whatever it is that we can until our thoughts come to an issue, until we build something out of this, until we're fruitful with it. So we've got lots of ideas here that I think is, is helpful. Uh, William Bates, who wrote quite a bit about meditation, has a different take on this 
opening, he describes meditation as a vehement motion of the understanding. I'm not even sure what that means, but it, it's got a, a troubled sense about it, right? Uh, this, this is an exercise that is frenetic in purpose. It's a vehement motion of the understanding. For that is the leading faculty in this duty. And that's the key to this. It's the leading faculty of this duty. It's a serious inquiry made after some hidden truth when the soul proposeth to enrich itself with the treasures of knowledge. The end whereof is to bring the soul to a serious detestation of sin, to a closing with and embracing of the will of God. This is that I intend to treat of, and it is like blowing of the coals to warm the soul. So there's different phrases here. For If you've not encountered these phrases, it might, might be a little puzzling here, but this idea of detesting sin, well, that's a matter of the heart. It's not that he's avoiding sin. You learn to hate sin. Meditation produces hatred, a hatred of sin. It's a good thing. But then he has this idea to bring a closing with and an embracing of the will of God. A closing with with God closing with Jesus was a popular phrase used to the Puritans. The idea that you weren't just transacting at a distance. It wasn't simply talking about Jesus over here, but it was a coming to Christ and actually putting an active trust into him. You're kind of closing the deal, as it were. You're bringing it together. Embracing the will of God to the end that it could blow upon the coals to warm the soul. What truth do you have deep inside your soul and what's burning down there right now? The art of meditation is designed to blow upon those coals to inflame and warm the heart. These are beautiful, beautiful pictures of what God intends to bring about in our life. The, the helpful way, the helpful thing uh, as we've looked at these, we've got one more definition. It's a little longer and it's, I think, very, very helpful. But before we get to that, the Meditation is not something that's done by philosophers alone. The, you, it's easy to be intimidated when you think about all the mental energy. You might think, I don't have the capacity to understand these great things. I can't, I can't, I'm not a Jonathan Edwards. I'm not somebody out here. And the scriptures portray the idea of meditation as something everybody can practice. Everybody. It's an everyman tool. It's not limited to just people who are very wise of mind. No. In fact, they could be fools because they don't practice it. But meditation, as we've seen here, is something that can be done by everybody to a profitable way. So before we move on to the next definition, um, any other thoughts or comments on this? A couple of phrases come to mind. One is, like the way that you described our response to the gospel Resting in Christ. Receiving and resting. As both the intellectual and effectual uh, affections there, resting in Christ, the decided um, bringing ourselves and entrusting ourselves to Him. Uh, then the idea of battling against unbelief, the, the vigorous nature of meditation. The, the, the truth implies untruth. Much of our the Christian life revolves around that battle. What are we going to believe? Are we going to believe God and receive His Word and and treat it as truth and to deny those other 
as untruths hold to what is what is proclaimed as. You you have to believe the truth and you have to put away lies. It's it's never it's not a one sided coin. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. All right, well, let's look at, at John Owen. This is, I'm going to read it. You can kind of follow along, but it's accepted because it's a little longer. He says, by disciplined meditation, which is an important qualifier, disciplined meditation, I mean the art of pondering some chosen spiritual subject in an orderly, disciplined way. The purpose of this sort of meditation is to rouse the heart and soul to feel the goodness or badness of the subject being pondered. Meditation is different from Bible study in which the chief aim is to learn the truth and declare it to others. Meditation is also different from prayer, for prayer is directed to God. The aim of meditation is different from being, uh, oh, the aim of meditation is to arouse the hearts to experience a sense of love, delight, and humility. Meditation is different from being spiritually minded and having spiritual thoughts arising naturally from a renewed heart. People may be skilled in spiritual thoughts, who are quite unable to think of a spiritual subject in a disciplined, orderly way. Meditation is an art that must be learned. It needs the use of natural faculties and abilities that through weakness and ignorance may not have been adequately developed. So he's hitting on different things, distinguishing it from other types of profitable things that people engage in, like Bible study. Meditation is not Bible study. Meditation, properly speaking, is in prayer. But meditation and prayer often go together just as Bible study and meditation go together. The point Owen is making is that this is a discipline practice and it's something you can get better at and it's something you'll learn to do as you begin to structure and order your thoughts. And Owen nails it here. The, the end is to rouse up the heart. That's the end of meditation, even for Owen. The discipline involved in all of this is, has a targeted end of not just being disciplined, but to rouse your heart. What do you think he means with this phrase that you could, that, that rouse the heart and soul to feel the goodness and or badness of the subject being pondered? What does that mean to you guys? He seems to think that's an important component here. It doesn't just rouse the heart, it doesn't inflame it into some sort of activity that's neutral. But it's to feel the goodness or to feel the badness of the subject pondered. What does that mean? What comes to mind? Emotions. You deal with emotions. You are, sure, in part. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. People often deny we deal with emotions. That's right. I, I think uh, this uh, winds in together, weaves together very closely with what Bruce was saying just a bit ago about believing truth and, and identifying and hating lies. The idea that the Christian life, we inflame the heart in two directions simultaneously. We love that which is good. We hate that which is evil. You need help in both directions. You need help to cultivate a love for that which is virtuous. And you need to learn to hate that which is wrong. One of the reasons we are inclined to sin 
is that we fail to hate that which is wrong. We need to love that which is good, but we need to hate that it's wrong. So Owen, I think, is getting to the idea that learn to find out what is good and true and holy and right and learn what is detestable so that we can stay away from it. Uh, we're running a little short on time, uh, so I'm going to skip over a couple of sections here and make one other point through one other definition. This, again, comes from Thomas Watson, but it has it's our... Um, it's our last, that's uh, no, not our last definition, but it, it brings something else to, to the table. Grace breeds delight in God, and delight breeds meditation. Meditation is a duty wherein consists the essentials of religion and which nourishes the very lifeblood of it. Meditation is the chewing upon truths that we have heard. Meditation is like the watering of the seed. It makes the fruits of grace to flourish. This is exactly the sort of thing you'd expect Thomas Watson to say. He's, he's given to these analogies and this flourishing here. Um, but he says something at the opening that's kind of interesting. Grace breeds delight in God. That's kind of interesting. Grace breeds delight in God. And then what does the delight in God have? What kind of power does it have over your life? Well, he says... This grace comes in, you begin to delight in God, then the delight produces meditation. You start instantly in on the meditating. Why? Because you're thinking about the things you're delighting in. So God becomes the object of the soul's delight. And because of that grace given to us, before he wasn't, but now he is, the mere act of it being something delightful causes us to want to think more about it. And that's really what I'm... Uh, emphasizing with this Watson quote here, it's just this opening sentence to see the relationship between grace, delight, and meditation. If your consideration of God is one of, if it's defective in ways that produces distance, maybe you think he's angry with you, maybe you think he's, he's distant from you because you share nothing in common. The problem's not with just meditation. The problem is an understanding of grace. What we see in the scriptures is a picture of reconciliation and delight. God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. As we contemplate these things for us, then we begin to wonder, well, who is this God? And what has he done for me? It naturally moves into a state of meditation. Grace is the opening of the art of meditation because it gives us something delightful to think about. All right, uh, let's see what we got here. I'm going to leave one last definition called talking while you chew. None of the other Puritans really hit upon this, and this comes from uh, Joel Beakey and I think maybe Mark Jones. I don't remember the other Jones. It's got a nice volume of Puritan uh, quotes, and they have this definition here. He says, the word meditate or muse means to think upon or reflect. While I was musing, the fire burned, David says in Psalm 39.3. It also means to murmur, to mutter, to make sound with the mouth. It implies what we express by talking to himself. A person involved in such meditation would recite aloud to himself in a low undertone passages of scripture he had committed to memory. And I, I add this uh, for the same reason we looked at the passage with Isaac 
uh, in Genesis 24, walking in the field. So Isaac's out here, he's meditating, and, but he's also walking in the field. It, it shows that meditation uh, in its practice takes different forms. It's not just involving the thoughts, it involves the body as well. And Isaac found it helpful to go for a walk as he thought about these things. What these guys are, are bringing is another, another dimension or a definition of this idea to meditate that the scriptures have, and that is the idea that it is something about muttering. There's something with our voice that's being used. And uh, Edmund Clowney, he's, he was able to see this relationship between meditating and talking, and he says when the psalmist speaks of meditating, he uses a word meaning to mutter. It's also used to describe the growl of a lion or the cooing or chattering of doves, such as in Isaiah 31. It seems evident the psalmist's meditation is closely related to the repetition of the words of Scripture. So we have these words that being used in the Bible. We don't quite understand how it means or what it means and what its importance is. What's one of the things? We, we take a walk and we can think about them. We could repeat them. We could say them over and over again. Not in the sense of some vain repetition, but thinking about what they might mean. What, what, what is the problem to be solved? What's the answer? How, where does it lie? And talking about what you're thinking about can be a very helpful thing, just like walking while you're trying to think can be a very helpful thing. So the idea of meditation is not just being uh, sequestered or, or cloistered away into a, a, a big stone room with books and it's very cold. Uh, the idea of meditation involves having it affect you in such a way physically that you can be out and about thinking about God's things after him so that your heart can be warm. So, talk while you chew. That's meditation. Talk while you chew. All right, before we... We're going to cover the next lesson very quickly because we're going to expand on it the last two classes. But before we do that, what other comments or questions you guys have about this last section the idea of vocalizing I think uh, you'll, you'll get into it with the practical side of things but I, I do think there's benefit in, in vocalizing uh, I, I don't know if it's a sign of aging but uh, my mind wanders more and more uh, uh, and when I pray by myself, uh, my mind is more focused if I vocalize, and there's a there's a purposefulness of, of engaging here here that is part of some of the discipline of that. And, and here's where Bible memory I think is, is helpful, or uh, reading out loud, or, or reading and then praying through a, a song or a scripture, whatever you're reading. In your devotions, interact with it verbally in your prayers. Yeah. That helps me in the disciplined aspect of, of interacting with those things. That's right. It is enormously helpful. When I, uh, in my Christian life, um, when I, I attended a uh, prayer meeting uh, every morning, it was like six o'clock or something every morning, we went to a church building to pray. And you know, at first it was awkward trying to figure out how to pray for an hour and this sort of thing. But when I figured out you could walk and pray, you think, well, why was that a big deal? Well, it, it changed everything. 
I don't know why, but I think better when I walk. I, I have a standing desk, and I routinely just circumnavigate round and round as I'm trying to think through a problem, and it really helps. And walking, uh, utilizing the body to process things in the mind, whether it's done vocally or not, whether it's done walking, whatever the case may be, gesticulating can help. And, and the, the Bible's fine with that for meditation. The Bible's down for moving around a lot and for talking about these things. We tend to look down on people who talk to themselves. The Bible looks up to people who talk to themselves. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big difference. You don't understand things. Go for a little walk and just talk about it. Well, you could be meditating. You could be, yeah. So uh, it's, it, 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 I, these last definitions, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the light uh, so that we can understand that there are things that are important that are maybe a little more uh, um, need to be a little more broadly understood than what we might think contemporary meditation looks like. Contemporary meditation does not lend itself to uh, chattering, to muttering, to musing, the growl of a lion. Uh, it doesn't lend itself to it. That's, that's not what modern meditation looks like. But it is what biblical meditation looks like. That's helpful. What other comments you guys have on this? Let me ask you a question. Does this sound liberating as a practice? As we begin to, to see it coming together? What was that? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I thought you might be meditating there for just a minute. I couldn't hear you, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's good I find it liberating I find it gloriously liberating to see that there is so much involved and so much latitude hey buddy uh, what else comes to mind about this class right, well we I thought we'd be able to get to the next lesson in but uh, we're not going to be able to uh, I don't want to do it injustice so Next week, what we're going to look at is the subject matter of meditation at a high level. And the, we'll have another lesson in there on identifying unbiblical practices of meditation that you're, you will encounter uh, in our culture and in your lives today. And I, I think it's, it's helpful to be able to see these things and to see why they're defective a, because it's fun to mock people, uh, but B, it's also you're going to encounter these things and you want to have the truths about meditation and its practice settled in your mind. Uh, so uh, we, we need both of those. So we'll, we'll take up the subject matter and the un, unbiblical forms of meditation that we encounter uh, next week. Oh, Mary, yes. We, we are going to... Briefly discuss yoga next week. <laughs> I, I will. I will show you all you need to know about yoga. <laughs> That's good. Any other? Any other serious thoughts? <laughs>